Start reading with verse one. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and let and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. Now that's kind of interesting. Uh, <laughs> some of us got some neighbors that are a little bit unusual. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The things written aforetime, yeah, that's the Old Testament. In fact, that's our whole Bible. You and I are living 2,000 years since the death of Christ, and uh, everything written in this book is for our uh, patience and comfort, and that we might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Now here we come with a bunch of verses that mention Gentiles. And you and I are mongrel Gentiles. Verse 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again praise the Lord all ye Gentiles and laud him all ye people. And again Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. That's you and me, Gentiles. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let's bow our heads again. Father, we praise you. Thank you over and over and over for thy word and for thy spirit that makes thy word real to our heart. We know that for years we read the book, read the Bible, didn't get anything out of it except to know that there were four Gospels and some letters and things that didn't seem to sit with uh, the way the world went, and it doesn't. But we just thank you that there was a day when you made these things real to our heart. And again, as we read tonight and preach, we pray that thy spirit will again be the teacher. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. That verse 13, now the God of hope. And then in verse 4 where it says that you might have hope. And again uh, in verse 13, uh, it talks about that we may abound in hope. The very reason for that is, is that normal, natural people don't have a hope. And uh, I, I want to read that to you again in First Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, where 
Paul is preaching to us about the resurrection. In fact, if you turn to the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians, we can start with verse 11. And uh, it says in that, you study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Now, that very verse will show you that this day of resurrection is not going to be in the tribulation. Now, if it was to be in a tribulation like a lot of preachers teach today, you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't be able to study. You couldn't be quiet. You couldn't do your own business. Uh, you couldn't exist. You have the mark of the beast, and you'd, you couldn't buy or sell apart from uh, having some uh, armed person uh, examining you or checking you out. You know, there, there are those that think the church is going to go through the tribulation. Well, it's not. It's not. But let's read on. Uh, verse 12, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. Uh, that certainly wouldn't be in the tribulation time either. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. And Paul mentions that in different times about different things, but particularly about resurrection. Concerning them which are asleep or who are, uh, who are dead and they are believers. And that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now that's just merely a statement of fact by the Apostle Paul. That if you are not in the Lord Jesus Christ, either living or dead, you haven't got a hope. There is no hope, period, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And that used to baffle me to no end. What's we talking about? We're talking about all the souls, beginning with that soul of Abel, that are with the Lord Jesus Christ. When he does come back on day of resurrection, he brings all these souls with him. All believers from the very beginning come back with him to get their new bodies. That's what it's saying. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. In other words, if there are living believers, uh, that makes no difference. Uh, the Lord's coming anyhow, and the few living believers, he tells us, is going to be changed right on the spot. Verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. It used to be kind of a, supposed to be a, a joke, funny. Why do they have to rise first? Well, they got six feet further to go. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Then we which are alive, live believers and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds all at the same time. Going to meet them in the air to gather with him in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. All believers, beginning with Abel, will be gathered together, and we will meet the Lord in the air. How is that going to happen? I haven't got a clue. I'll just give you one example. You remember when the Lord raised Lazarus from the tomb? He said, Lazarus, come forth. The Bible says Lazarus did come forth, but he was bound hand and foot and he had a napkin around his head he couldn't see he did not walk out he didn't run out they didn't carry him out he floated out 
And that's how you and I are going to rise to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to have no control over our new bodies whatsoever. Someday we will. But at this time, no control whatsoever. We will come out the same way Lazarus came out of the tomb. He floated out. See, after Lazarus came out, then the Lord says, Loose him, because he's bound hand and foot. All right? What we're getting at, we want to go over to this word hope again. Any person that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of how religious they are, how big a denomination or religion they come from, it makes no difference. They have no hope, even though they think they do. Muslims are one of that group. Buddhists are another one of that group. Uh, they've got millions and millions and millions of followers, but they don't have any hope. Why? Well, we just read it to you. They don't. Paul says they haven't any hope. We're talking about the God of hope, and what hope does he give us? Well, he gives us the hope that we will rise again. We're going to have a new body. Well, let me see where we are here. The Bible being God's word, and God who cannot lie, has told us quite a few things about ourselves and about the Lord Jesus. But the things that's mentioned about him just doesn't seem to be right. Now, why would God... Why would the only righteous God-man who never hurt anybody, never did any evil, be hated? Well, mainly because the Scripture says he would. Turn to Isaiah 53. Look at verse 3. Isaiah 53, 3. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And that's exactly how the religious world accepted the Lord Jesus when he was here on earth. He had a few followers. He should have had an awful lot more because he fed people by the thousands. He healed people probably by the thousands also. The reason I can say by the thousands is that the few little examples we have in the four Gospels only cover a few days in his life. He preached and walked in Israel for about three and a half years. And every single day was something miraculous happening in the life of the Lord Jesus not miraculous to him, but miraculous to those about him. We have examples of him giving sight to the blind and healing those that were crippled and even raising the dead and feeding thousands and walking on water and uh, touching a leper of all things. But he's God. And th those few incidences that we read about are enough to show us that he's God but he did things every single day. In fact, John said, hey, if we could have recorded everything, there, well, let me read it to you. It's in one of the last uh, verses of the book of John. Uh, it's in John 20. 
and uh, verses 30 and 31, John 20, 30, 31, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in his book. But these are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, meaning the Messiah, the Son of God, meaning he's God, and that believing you may have life through his name. That's all that God requires of a person, is for you to believe what the record gives about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is God, that he is our Savior. He is the acceptable sacrifice, the perfect substitute for sinners. Those are the things you learn. You learn also that he's the creator, that he never sinned in word, thought, or deed all of his life. And how can that possibly be? Because he grew up as an infant, as a young child, as a teenager, as a young person, and he didn't begin his ministry until he was 30 years old. And that covers those first 30 years in a normal person's life when they are a pretty big sinner. But our Lord never sinned in word, thought, or deed. Uh, if you are still in Isaiah 53, look at verse 5. Isaiah 53, 5. Uh, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That substitution again. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes were healed. If this did not say, by his stripes were healed, our Lord Jesus Christ possibly would not have had to been beaten. But anything the word says, no matter where it says it, it will take place. They beat our Lord Jesus Christ for no apparent reason, whatever. Pilate says, I find no fault in this man. Take him out and beat him. It just... It's just terrible. And he's suffering that for you and me. You say, well, do I deserve to be beaten? Well, you and I deserve worse than to be beaten. We deserve to be cast into hell because we're sinners. We've broken God's law and we still break God's law. And our Lord Jesus Christ, who kept the law perfectly, imputes his righteousness to a believer. Imputes means he just charges it to your account. God knows every heart. He knows every thought that we ever going to have till the day we quit breathing. And he's known this from eternity. God doesn't learn anything new, like next week, whatever caper I happen to pull off, will he be surprised with it? No, not at all. No, exactly about it. From back before the world was created. That's our God. That's the power of our great God. All right, if you want to go to uh, Psalm 22 and verse 1, it's going to show you that the very method of his dying is given to us. Psalm 22, is going to give you the very words that he said, but also it's going to tell us about crucifixion. First, Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Those are exactly the words our Lord said on Calvary's cross. Now, crucifixion is a Roman invention. And when this psalm was written, uh, the Romans hadn't invented it yet. And yet we have a almost perfect detail of crucifixion in verse 16, 17. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. Now, is there any other way a person dies with them piercing their hands and their feet? Not that I know of. I haven't heard of any other way except nail them to a tree, nail them to a cross. And then when it says, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me, he was so stretched out. It was a, a horrible, horrible way to die, a terrible way to suffer. And uh, our Lord Jesus Christ didn't hang back from that whatsoever. In fact, it's over there in Hebrews 12, too, where it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The very joy of you and me as believers being with him is the reason why he suffered the death on the cross. And you, you, can, you, know, you can't figure that out. I can't either. Now, if the God-man lived the, his life according to the scriptures, we should do the same. Our lives should be continual day in school, increasing our knowledge of Christ and salvation. Look at 2 Peter 1, verses 2, 3, and 8. 2 Peter 1, 2, 3, and 8. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Verse 8, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Learning about him. It takes a lifetime. As old as I am, I enjoy reading anything about the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, may I have read the same thing over and over and over again. Let somebody else say it in a few different words and it seems all fresh and new all over again. And that's the way it's been with reading uh, Bill Sasser's little books. And pretty soon I'll have enough to give up everybody a whole set of uh, Bill Sasser's books. Well, let's get back to Romans 15 again. Romans 15 and verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And what is the end that's supposed to be of our learning? Well, it says that we might have hope. Now, the things written aforetime, all things, the Word says, whatsoever things were written for our learning. Did it ever dawn upon you that of all the books in the world, this is the only one that can give you hope of eternal life? 
It's the only book that contains the necessary information that God sees fit for sinners to learn. A sinner coming to Christ for eternal life needs to see examples of patience and comfort that are illustrated in the Old Testament. Well, whose patience is it talking about? The saints or God's? Well, verse 5 clears that up by saying, the God of patience. But notice, God gives that patience and gives consolation to the sinner throughout the scriptures. Let's go to the very beginning. Did God lose patience with Adam when he disobeyed God? No, in fact, he gave Adam plenty of time to blame it all on Eve. And then for Eve to blame it all on the serpent. You might say, where was the consolation? Well, our Lord killed an animal and made them coats of skins. He told them how the shed blood of that animal represented the blood of a coming Redeemer, a person called the seed of the woman, and who would give his life a ransom and pay for their sins. Uh, look at 1 Timothy 2.6. 1 Timothy 2.6. While you're right there, let's read 5, because that's so great. There's one God. Who's that? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's the one God. And one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, he is also God. But he happens to be a person, too. This is mysterious. It's strange, and you're never going to figure it out unless God gives you faith to believe it. Verse 6 says, Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Who's the all? Is it everybody in the world? No, it can't possibly be. I know when the flood came, millions upon millions of people went to hell, drowned, there was, uh, were they included in that all? No, uh -uh, no way. The all is for all of those that he gave to Christ back in eternity. But this is a good page to be on in Timothy. If you look at chapter 3 and verse 16. Here's a 3.16 again, like John 3.16. Well, this is 1 Timothy 3.16. And it is great. Without controversy. In other words, shut your mouth. No argument going here. You're just listening. This is fact. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God became one of us. Justified in the spirit. Seen of angels. Preached unto the Gentiles. Believed on in the world. Received up in the glory. You see, us believing on him is just as big a mystery without controversy as him being born. This is all put together in the same verse. Believed on in the world? Are you kidding? People so sinful, so hateful, so depraved as we are, believing on him? Yeah, that's it. Great is the mystery of godliness. And you and I are included. All right, let me see where we are here. Adam was knocked down, in fact, punched clear out of the ring, and yet he was not out. God gave him hope from the words he spoke to him in Genesis 3.15. Well, let's look at it. 
Genesis 3.15. I know we all know it. But God's got it in here so we can read it at any time. And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman. He's talking to the serpent right now. But Adam and Eve are listening. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. There's going to be a her seed, which is not normal in the world. The man has a seed, not the woman. And yet, the seed of the woman happened to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He had no human father. Uh, this was... Uh, this was the first promise of the Messiah to come but Adam and Eve listened very very carefully and of course it speaks about Adam having to work and uh, Adam had to work before that when the Lord put him in the Garden of Eden this his, what Adam had to do was to keep this garden up but now it's going to have thorns and thistles, so the work the workload is going to be quite a bit heavier. Now, does that seem like a slap on the wrist for disobeying God? Well, look what sin produced. The firstborn son, the first birth ever, and is such a miracle and source of joy, entertainment, and love. Their very firstborn breaks their heart because he's a murderer and kills his brother over the very thing God told Adam and Eve was their hope, the offering of blood as an atonement for sin. Heartbreak in every family because of sin. Adam's sin. Look at Romans 5 and verse 12. Romans 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Some people don't believe in the Adam and Eve story. Well, God's got it in there. You better believe it. If you don't, you're in trouble. And it really doesn't make any difference who doesn't believe it. It, it uh, doesn't make it any, and doesn't change it one bit. The very first parents we had, Adam and Eve, are real. And when Adam fell, his spirit died. He was body, soul, and spirit, and he was left with a depraved body and a depraved soul. When God begins to save a sinner, when he brings them, draws them to Christ, he puts his spirit within them. The God's Holy Spirit indwells a believer. Now, I used to think, before I knew anything, period, that if God's Spirit indwelt a person, they ought to be marvelous. They ought to be perfect. They ought to be holy. They ought to be powerful. Because isn't the Spirit of God capable of doing anything? Well, the Spirit of God indwells a believer, but he gives them the knowledge about himself and their knowledge about Christ, and that's as far as the knowledge and the, and the power goes. Even when our Lord prayed in John 17, 2, he says, Thou hast given me power over all flesh, that I should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given me. 
That's how God uses his power. To give you an interest, to make you feel like it's all up to you. You know, a sinner coming to Christ thinks they've got to do it all. They feel absolutely helpless, hopeless, so sinful, so awful, and yet knowing you've got to get to Christ. This being drawn to Christ isn't any fun. No, it's no picnic. It's not putting hands together and holding hands and having a hot flash and everybody shouting hallelujah. Are you kidding? Man, you like that, that, that publican in that 16th of Luke. Uh, he, he just hung his head and beat himself on the chest and God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And that's the cry, that's the prayer that God answers. You're going to have to have a great big three-page uh, deposition. You're going to tell the Lord you did this, you did that, and you hoped you wouldn't do that. And this, hey, I need mercy. And that's the kind of prayer the Lord answers. What was tragic for the family was a blessing to Abel. The son murdered because that dreaded thing called death had already lost its sting because Abel was looked upon as righteous by God because of the faith he had in the substitute redeemer to come. How do we know that? Look at Hebrews 11 and verse 4. Hebrews 11 and verse 4. Wouldn't you love to have your name written in this book? Well, it won't be. But there's another book called The Lamb's Book of Life. It's written in there. Hebrews 11.4 By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. It was all about the offering. It was all about religion. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. Wow. He didn't realize that at the time. That's hard to imagine the first two boys born... And they being twins, one kills the other one. Our Lord Jesus calls him righteous, also in Matthew twenty-three thirty-five. Our Lord never forgets one of those he came to die for. Abel was consoled by eternal life in God's presence. There was no written word for Abel to see, but he believed the word spoken to his dad, Adam, and that was taught to him. In time, the story was written by Moses and preserved of God up until this very hour, and we are to learn from it patience and comfort that we might have hope, the same hope that Abel had. Now, Cain heard the same instructions that Abel did. He just didn't believe it. Abel heard, believed, and obeyed. And that is exactly how God deals with a sinner today. It's never changed. It pleases God to save sinners by the preaching of the gospel. Well, look at this one. It's 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21. 1 Corinthians 1, 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God... The world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 
Now it isn't foolish preaching, but to the unbeliever it's foolishness. Let's quit talking about Calvary and substitute, eternity. Come on, we're in a world. We've got to make a living here. We've got to do the best we can. We're going to survive. Maybe when we get real old, like that guy preaching up there, maybe I'll get religious. <laughs> Don't work that way. Look at verse 16, I mean 18 up there in chapter 1. At 1 Corinthians, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto them which are saved, it's the power of God. I want to hear about Calvary. I want to hear about my Lord. I want to read about his life. I want to see God's love to me. I want to see the Father's love. It's all in the Bible. They believe and obey. Obeying the scriptures means the hatred of the world will be upon you. Will it? Well, let's look at John 17 and verse 14. John 17, 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Why would the world hate a person because they have a Bible? Well, there's an awful lot of people who have a Bible, but it talks about somebody that believes the Bible. When he says he gives us the word, that means that when we read what we know from the word, we would die for. It's the most important words in all the world. There isn't anything more precious than God's word to a person. I know we talk about the hurricane coming, grab up your best possessions, and hey, the Bible always gets wrapped up first along with the other good books. Uh, time and again, Connie will tell you, we have a hurricane alert. What happens? Get the box out, pack up the books, because we're going to move. going to put them somewhere safe. And uh, that's what God does to you when you... When you know Christ, when you want to know him, God's word is the most important thing. So the things written aforetime is for our learning. So as Paul told Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, study. Can you imagine? Well, let's look at it. 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then if you jump over to verse 24, once again Paul is uh, encouraging and, and teaching Timothy. He says, And a servant of the Lord must not strive. You're not to be uh, physical. Don't uh, think... If somebody don't like what you're saying, you grab them by the throat and knock their head against the wall. No, you don't do that. But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, and patient. Well, why would he put patient after apt to teach? Because there are people that don't want to listen to you. You can't make them learn, like taking a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. In meekness... Instructing those that, what, oppose themselves, you realize that anybody you talk to always start out by opposing themselves. 
I don't care who it is. They like what they have heard as a child. Whatever they've been taught generally is what they think they're going to end up with. Oh, my religion was good for Grandma and Grandpa. They were wonderful people. Oh, my mother and dad, oh, they, hey, first thing that happens to a sinner when the Lord begins to deal with them is their religion goes out the window. The first thing you lose is your religion. That's how you oppose yourself, by thinking you know something and you probably know it very well, but it's wrong. If God peradventure will give them repentance, wow, peradventure, he don't have to. God don't have to do a thing for the sinner. Whatever he does, it's by grace. Totally undeserved. He'll give them repentance that they're acknowledging the truth. What's true? Here it is. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the truth. The Bible in, uh, also tells you in John 17, Thy word is truth. The Lord Jesus Christ is called the word. So all of that ties together. The truth is in Christ. And then here's the kicker when you read it to them, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Are you kidding me? Captive of the devil? No way. In fact, I don't even believe in the devil. There's no such thing. Really? Well, I guess then uh, our Lord Jesus Christ was telling lies, and Peter was making up uh, fairy stories when he's telling you about Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We've read about Satan revolting from God back, don't know when, but anyhow, the Bible speaks about the devil and you and I will never see him, but we will definitely uh, be in contact with all kinds of things the devil has set up, including people, circumstances. Uh, in fact, the Lord let the devil try Job, something terrible. And if that, if there is no devil and that whole story in the book of Job is, is a falsehood, but it's not. Our Lord even talked about the patience of Job. So, uh, as we finish tonight, I want you to know that we have a hope. We have the God of hope and the hope he gives us is that when we finish our course in this life, people aren't going to say, oh, how successful he was. Oh, look what he left behind. No, this sinner's not going to leave anything behind, but everything's going to be ahead. When we quit breathing to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have finally won the war. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon this simple message tonight. Thank you for those you sent this way and ask that thy spirit will have taught our hearts a little bit more about our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for those who aren't with us again and pray for all of those that were with us this morning, how wonderful it was. Again, we just ask thee to give us wisdom and strength to live each day for our Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.